especially within climate spaces, these sorts of public planning and use uh, discussions about how do you make, you know, these sorts of changes, these systemic changes that you mm -hmm. would need to eliminate your carbon from transportation in particular. Um, a lot of it has been around the fact that you do need to invest in the space changes. Steve Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet at WFPR.FM and 102.9 on the local Franklin Mass area dial. Here again for another session discussing climate with one of my guides, Ted McIntyre, and we've got a guest today to join us in this conversation. Help us introduce her to the listeners. Yes. So we are thrilled to have with us a climate activist from the Franklin area named Marissa. How are you doing, Marissa? I'm doing well. Marissa is a geologist and anthropologist at the same time, which if you need to Google what those are, you should, because there's very interesting, interesting topics, a very interesting crossover of things. Uh, Marissa has been in Franklin now for several years and is a, a climate activist, thoughtful person. And we're here to discuss generalized question of transportation, right, which is an enormous question that has so many, so many, so many um Aspects. implications in cul-de-sacs mm -hmm. kind of phrase you know little by roads and sideways that you can go down to you know, talking about transportation so yeah uh, whether they're dotted good. lines or straight lines so to pick up that road theme kind of this is this would be not the interstate highway this would be the dirt road uh, through the uh, question of transportation so let me give it let me give some context then we can talk i hope that what we, what we end up is talking sort of about transportation in franklin in a climate happy world right some future state where you know what would franklin look like sooner than later all, hmm? sooner or later sooner than later <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Yes. so the context for everything as we always talk through is the uh, massachusetts roadmap which commits the state to get to net zero carbon emissions by 2050 but in the near term in the real the real battle that is underway now is to reduce our gas carbon dioxide emissions by 50% by the year 2030, which is now eight years away. Right? Less than eight years away. <laughs> Less than eight years away, right? So th there's the roadmap. Part of the roadmap has put a, a limit on the emissions from the different sectors of the economy. In Massachusetts, one of those sectors being transportation. But transport, so again, transportation covers lots and lots of stuff: mass transit, automobiles, buses, all kinds of things that uh, transportation covers. So again, the roadmap bill passed a year ago because all of a sudden there's money coming down from the federal government. The state senate is running around trying to figure out how to spend spend the the infrastructure money from the Biden administration, and they hit upon this I. Uh, idea of having another climate bill, which does a lot of good things. It's a, so before I go anywhere, let me insulate myself and inoculate myself against <laughs> any attack. This is, it's a good bill, a lot of good stuff in it. A critique of the bill, a gentle critique of the bill says that it is too focused on electric vehicles as a magic bullet for solving climate, right? There's, is, there, is a requirement in the bill that 
by the year 2035, all vehicles sold in Massachusetts will be electric. They will have charging stations everywhere. Essentially, it's painting this sort of cartoon image of swapping every internal combustion engine with an electric vehicle, and then we're done, you know, wipe our hands and, and we're good to go, right? Everyone's got an EV. Uh, I'm not sure it works that way. There's lots of other, there's lots and lots of questions that come around that. But that connects up with a different idea, uh, which is embodied in something that I think we're all going to hear more about, but chapter five of the most recent IPCC report. Steve, you have, have now can tell me what IPCC means, right? <laughs> we've, we've, we've gotten that right. Internet, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. They put out a, 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 in this most recent report a chapter that talks about the idea of how to shift, basically talking about demand, changing people's demand, right? How do you change the demand for transit? In particular, the way they phrase it is this funny, they call it energy services. And if you can shift the demand for the energy services, then you get to save a lot of carbon. And the way that boils down in this conversation, I think, is to say, no one's demanding an EV. I don't want an EV. None of God's children want an EV. Everyone wants convenient, clean, quick transportation, right? So if you can find a different way to give them transportation that doesn't involve EVs, then you've shifted. You've saved a lot of carbon. So, And then that bleeds into the whole question of how do you build a city? Again, these are like top-level things. I mean, how do, you, how do you organize a city so that you don't need a car to get around? Right? How do you put houses where you don't need to, to drive so much? So again, that's why I say transportation is not just EVs. Right? Um, and so there you go. That's kind of the, as I say, the 30,000 foot view. We want to talk about how would that kind of thing, shifting energy demand, right? alternates to electric vehicles, how would that play out in a place like Franklin, which is kind of a template, right? It's it's an example, right? I mean, there's all it's not it's not perhaps the most common, but it is fairly common up and down the 495 card. There's towns like Franklin. I mean, what would we how would we change Franklin to do that? And so I, Steve, let me put it back to you, Marissa. I know that uh, you've got some thoughts. I mean, I guess the, the question is, Steve, what do you think would be what would you change about Franklin or build if you wanted to have by 2030 or 2050, a place that had no emissions from transportation? What would you do? Yeah. I ask you. <laughs> I wish I had that magic wand. <laughs> That'd make it a whole lot easier. <laughs> um, yeah, it's good. It's going to be a challenge because I think, and I agree with you in terms of the assessment, this just replacing gas powered with electric powered, doesn't necessarily help us primarily because the entire infrastructure supporting the car traffic still is a climate issue um, and doesn't save us any of that whatsoever. Trying to shift to that IPCC chapter five in terms of shifting the demand, that that's where the rubber is going to really meet the road to continue with that kind of pun and <laughs> segue on language. <laughs> Because I think that's going to be the most viable piece. Um, and it's going to be hard because, yes, Franklin certainly, at least for those who are commuting into Boston or points along the Boston Rail, mm -hmm. have a fairly easy route to take that way. 
that was one of the reasons I came here 20 plus years ago was because of the coincidence of the rail that was at the time my work was in Boston. And yet it also took me at various times where I had to travel to either Hartford or Merrimack, uh, Worcester, you know, Hartford, uh, I mentioned Hartford. So, but at least you could drive around those places as well. Fairly easy because 495 connects to 95, connects to 90, you can get up and down. We're centrally located to that way, hence Metro West. But the transportation is all via the cars, and that's that's where the real issue is. EVs, okay, get us, quote, a cleaner vehicle, but we're still driving. Um, and there's still rubber meeting the road. They still have to maintain the roads well, and just, all the tar, et cetera, on that. That's that's all climate stuff, too. So I want to hear from Marissa, but it's just I mean, one is that you mentioned this idea of locking in infrastructure. Right. And, and, and we're going to build a mass pike down near the BU Bridge. We're going to lock in for the next 50 years a four lane highway going into Boston. And the other is like talk about rubber hits the road. I've read that even if everyone had an electric vehicle, you would still be grinding the tires up and getting little micro particles of, of tire in your lungs. Mm-hmm. Right. So anyway, Marissa, what you came to Franklin uh, recently. What's your perspective here? Yeah. Uh, I moved a little under five years ago now, and that was um, a choice for my career to move uh, forward in that. But, you know, I had a lot of different considerations when I first moved to Massachusetts. I was looking at a lot of different things about each, you know, town that I, or place that I looked at. Cost of living, how, you know, I there are certain hobbies and activities I enjoy. How easy is it to participate in those in the place that I'm gonna be? But I've always, I've lived in a couple different places within Franklin um, over the past, almost five years. And, you know, all those places have been within walking distance from that commuter rail, because I definitely saw that as, you know, a really big plus is I didn't have to take my car all the way into Boston, I could definitely I could go in for, you know, a day on the weekend and, you know, not have to deal with you know, the stress and the finding parking. And, you know, I'll also, you know, better for the environment, right? You know, not taking my one car in to meet someone else, you know, and I could utilize this really great public transit system, you know, and I do think that that is a really great option to have here for Franklin. I do think that there is a limitation to that, right? There is, you know, a cost limitation for some people. I think there's also just, you know, it only goes along that one route. And while there are many connections, you know, um, there are limited time frames, you know, depending on how some things work for people. Um, but that was definitely a factor um, and well, definitely you, something I considered. Would you say that, I mean, I guess I would take from that that one of the ways in a future Franklin that is climate friendly would be an electric train that comes all day long on a regular schedule and comes in and out and provides, because I think all of us, coming to this town said, yeah, the, the, T, the train's here, the MBT gets in and out. And so that's in terms of the, it tells you the power of those mass uh, governmental actions, right, to guide people's choices, right? If, 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 that, if the train that came in and out from Franklin, 
you know, they call it a commuter train because it's dedicated for people from the suburbs to go into gritty mm. old Boston in the morning and the evening, as opposed to, you know, every 20 minutes the train leaves. And those are just different conceptions of what a train should be. But mm-hmm. I, mean, I would say that's the direction the town should be going. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, I think the uh, electric trains would certainly be like a cleaner option too. I'm assuming the current situation is diesel. Yeah. Um, yeah. And having something that runs very frequently, you know, I will say like on the weekends, it obviously, I think the time frame between trips at this point is two hours, which yeah. can be kind of limiting depending upon when you might need to get someplace. If you were going to go in to the city, say you're using it, maybe not for work, but maybe, you know, you're going to a medical appointment if it's, you know, on a weekend kind of thing and you can you have a two hour uh, two hours is a pretty big gap but i think that the uh, the and yeah if you miss it you get another two hours right mm -hmm, and i think that's driven by the again infrastructure choices that Mm -hmm. this line going down to boston there's a it's only a single line so only one choo-choo can be on at a time for for often so they and i think they're talking about doubling that up but again this is the kind of thing i i would argue that um an electric, a clean electric train, frequent service, in fact, inexpensive service. I mean, if you start thinking about Boston, which is a whole other interesting question, you know, free electric buses in Boston would be a boon. Hmm. But, uh, mm-hmm. but, but let me bring it back here. Here in Franklin, let's, we're, since we're talking Franklin, what options are there to make moving within the town uh, easier? Right. In other words, uh, let me, again, Steve, I'll start with you. In, term, in terms of if you don't live within walking distance of the train or a shopping place, you have to drive. At least that's yes. my, the, the way, I mean, what could we be doing over the course of the next two decades to make that less an imperative that you must have a car if you want to live out in the Tony suburbs of Franklin? Yeah, I think the two pieces that, at least from my reporting and what's going on on the government side, some of the policy decisions we can help foster uh, on two fronts. One, if we remember kind of for those who grew up in cities or even in the suburbs at the time, you had kind of a village concept. So it was kind of a neighborhood store. The zoning doesn't permit that today. You've got acres and acres, miles and miles of residential development, but there's no commercial within it. So if we were able to change, and obviously there would be a change, and obviously there would have to be carefully associated, carefully placed, but to build back that kind of village concept in some of the suburb developments, communities, that would at least alleviate for some of those, if you will, you know, the milk runs, you know, Mm -hmm. the milk and bread runs. So you don't have to go out. And I wonder too, because it's not as convenient, if we're also fostering so that you make a weekly trip to whether it's the stop and shop or the big Y shows, because they're the big ones, you got to go. So rather than making the one quick trip for the loaf of bread or one trip for the, to the neighborhood store for the milk, you, you build it up to do it on a week basis and do the car. You may still have to do some on the car, but if you had that village type option, uh, that would be one. The other piece I think would be, and the town did sign into the complete streets process that MassDOT has. I haven't certainly wouldn't call myself an expert by any means, but the concept philosophically is approach a redoing of a road 
to handle all kinds of transit and don't prioritize cars over anything else. That in itself, I think, would help anybody walking, even disabled, certainly bike and electric bike and whatever else the future is going to bring. Those two concepts together, I think, would help us, you know, in kind of the local arena. So, Marissa, do you, I mean, would you ride a bike on a, uh, on streets in Franklin? And what would it take to make that uh, a viable option for you? I think there are some streets that uh, you could probably safely do that on. But I know that um, part of the consideration for me would certainly be some of the areas, even as a pedestrian, are feel hazardous to, you know, cross sometimes, mm. I feel like. Um, East Central Street and West Central Street, you know, King Street, all of those get, you know, pretty busy. And uh, even as a pedestrian, it feels precarious. And I don't know how I would feel even more exposed on the roadway rather than the sidewalk, because that's where I should be riding my bike, right? right. Um, right. And trusting that people with their cars are paying attention, leaving me adequate space. Mm-hmm. You know, those sorts of things are definitely um, a little bit of a hindrance, I think, to some of the areas in town. But unfortunately, those are also some of the areas that you would need to travel to get to right. your stores, the, you know, stop and shop or Shaw's or, you know, what have you. If you can't get to those particularly safely, you know, you, it's not even going to be a consideration, right? I mean, I, I thought about, you know, is it conceivable to have a protected bike lane that runs along King and Washington Street from the I guess the west side of town over towards the Shaws and the Big Y, right? Under 495, right? You just you couldn't put a bike lane. It's just too much traffic. But there are other sections. And what's interesting, I I think, is that because of the way Franklin, I think, has been built, Steve, correct me if I'm wrong, there's lots and lots of sort of cul-de-sac neighborhoods, right? Everybody wanted to be on a cul-de-sac. So everybody dumps onto the main road, right? Which makes the main road a little busy. But if you had a bike path on the main road, then everyone could safely get from their cul-de-sac out to the main drag, right? And then pedal along safely on their electric bicycle. Uh, And, you know, you could, that's not a bad way to go. I think that there are, I mean, I, I challenge you either or both of you to say, is it possible to dethrone the car as the owner of the road. I mean, is that even, I mean, how would you even go about that? Well, it's, <laughs> it's certainly not overnight. Um, the roads as, and using the downtown as an example, when they redid the downtown, you notice they've got additional markings on the road to for the bike lane. Um, it's not mm-hmm. a separate lane. Obviously we would like to get to that. Some cases we could, some cases where, even especially along some of the, call it the feeder roads, whether it's a Chestnut or Pleasant. Pleasant's wider than Chestnut in places. Um, There's places on Chestnut that are rather narrow, places that are much wider, places on Pleasant, uh, Prospect, Pond. Um, When you think of those kind of feeder roads, some are going to be easier to use than others. Oak Street is another good example where it's fairly wide right by the schools, but then when you get up to, more towards mm-hmm. the Bond Street section, it really narrows, right? That could be a challenge. And so you'd have to kind of devise the master plan in terms of what are the feeder roads? What do we do on those? What are the, the major roads that you can at least allow kind of the, you know, the, the bike lane, et cetera? 
and then with the markings and then with the awareness and hopefully as more people did shift from the cars, well, then there would be less cars to interfere with the more bikes. <laughs> so you, you'd start seeing that shift. There should be a lot more awareness. And again, that's not going to happen overnight. That's going to be a slow drag to get to go. But I think it's possible. Um, I've written, I've written around in on a few days where it just, it was great weather. I got to do my ride around town and walk around town to do my reporting. I'll just ride instead to go place to place. And there are some spots that are more challenging than others, but it could get changed. Marissa, what do you, what do you get? The trouble I think for Franklin and for a lot of places, especially in the United States, right. Is we've built so much of this infrastructure mm. for the car you know, ages and ages ago, it's hard to then shift what we're going to be doing. You know, um, I think historically in a lot of places, it used to be a little bit more like electric trams to get you from to and from places. And it's hard in some ways to maybe, I don't want to say go backwards, but like, you know, move more towards like back towards public transportation when people I think are set and ingrained. But I do know that they're in discussions about especially within climate spaces, these sorts of public planning and use uh, discussions about how do you make, you know, these sorts of changes, these systemic changes that you Mm -hmm. would need to eliminate your carbon from transportation in particular. Um, A lot of it has been around the fact that you do need to invest in the space changes and then the use will follow because if you wait for an, you know the use part of it it's not going to happen because right. people will be held back by you know these safety limitations or concerns mm-hmm. um i think you can do it i do think that you would probably have to take a, a good look at like you said those feeder streets at the, the specific areas of um road narrowing or you know where certain things feed into uh as an important component of it and I do think that we are moving as a green community in that direction. I uh, did take a look over, I think, the more recent uh, submittal that Franklin did for the Complete Streets program. And there were several components of that that talked about striping bike lanes that wouldn't Mm -hmm. be a protected lane necessarily, but um, it would certainly be a step in the right direction, you know, to at least have those pieces set up and maybe make people more aware that this is, a piece that they can do and you know follow through with maybe and well, I mean, start I, I incorporating I, into their routines i mean i think that to your point marissa in the 19 let, let me just i wasn't there but in the 19 believe it or not i wasn't there in the 1930s but i mean it's like before the superhighway right the towns were built for like boston was built without the thought of a car right it was like where the cow walks is where all the streets are right and then in the 50s we rebuilt all of the cities to accommodate cars knock down i mean the, the political will was there to just knock stuff down you can go into all the sort of equities around that right but still in all i mean the idea that the current construction of the city is some 11th commandment chiseled into a stone somewhere. No, I mean, this is a choice. Mm-hmm. And it takes, to Steve, your point, it takes a long time, right? But you only, you, you, somehow you've got to start. And so the, I, I suppose the, the first place to begin is to a small statement that says the car is not king, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we may not get there for 20, 30 years, but even it's not, the car doesn't necessarily own the road and that people, um, people, but I mean, I, I guess the other flip side is Steve, to, 
means like here in Franklin, I was thinking one of the things I would like to see for transportation is to have electric school buses that were enough of them that they were reliable that every mom and pop didn't drive there. I mean, I drove my own son to school here. It was a quarter of a mile away, right? And he's idling and then there's a traffic jam to get in and out somehow. And and then if you don't want to put your kid on even an electric bus, then make a safe bicycle path to the school so they can all ride their bikes. I mean, that's even more Mm -hmm. healthy. Right? But I mean, yeah. so again, you, the mode shift, the demand for why you need a car, what somehow we need to be moving that stuff around so that people don't need to use, uh, begin to think in new ways, right? Yeah, an old new, an old thing and a new, a new thing. Um, thought came to mind pulling up from something from the school committee meeting last night. One of the students had gone into an analysis and tap into that because it was really good. But the short story here is is something that was done a long time ago actually better than it was done today. So I do know that having seen the historical museum and other postcards, et cetera, we did have streetcars and the streetcar bond still exists because it's the building, the warehouse building next to Encontro down by the really BJ's that used to be the streetcar building and the streetcars used to go to other communities. So we do have a Gatra the greater Alabama transit, which is the regional transit services us. So not that they would get into a streetcar business, but to what we were talking about before, more frequent electric, something of a schedule, or even kind of a hybrid option with, you know, uh, an Uber type on demand piece. Um, There was a conversation last week with the senior center where there was some comments where some seniors trying to book from, Gatro being told service was not available because two people had already requested and they were going in the same direction and their system wasn't a lot enabling them. They were treating them as single rides rather than the opportunity to put two and two together to actually make one ride, maybe five minute difference and have more passengers on the ride. That's a software piece. We've got the software to do that. We would need to incent Gatro to do that piece of it. But I think getting back to the IPC piece, there's a piece in that it says we've got all the tools. We just need to be creative and figure out, okay, well, if we did have streetcars, we could do them. (laughs) We have electric vehicles. We can put them in the right places to bring masses of people around and some schedule so that, well, even if the bike's not as accommodating for maybe the major shopping trip, you could do it on the bus and mm-hmm. have the bus come on a more frequent schedule, et cetera. Thinking out loud, but it's, it sounded good. <laughs> no, I think that's great. I also think that uh, sometimes people aren't even aware of the things that exist within their own community. I, the fact that we're even hooked into GATRA was not something that I was really even aware of hmm. prior to six months ago. Right. right. You know, I think, knowing what pieces are available to you to say, oh, maybe I could, you know, reduce these sorts of trips if I, you know, can take a bus. Or even if there were buses that were running from certain areas of town to the grocery stores sorts of thing, that might still be a Mm -hmm. useful tool for residents. But it is tough. You know, I think that that sort of planning, um, but if you could have rentals or zip bikes or you know something like that um where you maybe don't have to make the yeah. long-term investment the Franklin area yourself 
Yeah. <laughs> or zip the bike blue equivalent. Bikes. The, aren't the blue bikes the, the thing you rent, you, you put your, yeah. your credit card in, you yeah. pedal for, yeah. uh, you know. And those sorts of things, I think, could be a useful tool as well in the sense that you can maybe not put the investment in. Um, I, I don't need to invest in a car if I know that there's a potential option available. Mm. If I want to do the, you know, a couple times a week, I have something big that I, I do need more cargo space for. And I could, you know, rent it for an hour or two, you know, rather than mm. like a car rental place, which is like a day, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, insurance and all stuff, you know, having tools like that, I think at our disposal could also be a benefit, whether that's a zip car, whether that's something like an electric bike rental, you know, as an option for people as well. I think that could, you know, help be a piece of this. We did a a podcast uh, evidently up in West Roxbury. I think there was an effort to have electric vehicle sharing, so just so you rent the electric vehicle for two, you rent an electric Nissan Leaf for something for two hours and go run your errand and then you bring it back and it's a way to minimize everything right it's it, that's a and it but the thing of it is it's not a private entity it was I think it's run by the city government in West Roxbury which I think is Boston so somehow but I mean it's hmm. it's it's a it's not the question is should a town like Franklin well, this leads into two questions. Could a town like Franklin or even a region have a governmentally sponsored vehicle sharing thing so that if you wanted to get a car for a few hours, you could. If you needed to shop, right, you could bike over, ride your bike over to wherever the three electric vehicles are, then do your shopping and ride your bike home or something. Hmm. I mean, and that, so that's one question. Is, is that even, is that too far out? And the other question, much more germane is like, what level of regional organization would be needed to make a transit system more effective, more efficient, right? Mm. In other words, and, and how would you address that in, I think, what's a famously competitive kind of part of the state, right? I mean, it, it, it's, it's, the towns don't like to particularly work with each other. Steve, you would know better. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't want to insult anybody. In the, but I mean, the towns all tend to go their own way, whereas if Gatra being maybe the exception, right? But well, if there was go gov- government of Massachusetts is structured for individual self-determination, if you will. More of the Western states, certainly Pennsylvania and Western states, are more of a county-based government. Even in Franklin, there are some counties that have a county government. Norfolk being one, but Middlesex doesn't. Um, and when you go into, I we did live in Illinois for a while, their county there was much more a regular part of, they did certain services, the towns and the villages and the uh, undefined sections were able to exist because the county provided the services that they and the local level didn't. That's a different governmental concept. I know from the regionalization the town has tried to do, it's difficult. And it has taken both government funding as well as, in some cases, some government uh, legal changes in order to make things happen. Um, There was also a story, and that probably be a a separate piece in terms of regionalization, because I remember even when the major set of apartments along Dean were being built, the DPW was going to have to replace the sewer, et cetera. They want, and then the, the owner of the property was willing to participate with us to help fund that. 
but the legal work, because it was a public-private partnership to fund community infrastructure, it ended up falling apart, even when they were trying to do that. That, that couldn't happen. So there are some hurdles now. If it's a law, it can get changed, but it requires attention and then the will of the people, et cetera, et cetera. So even back to the school buses, the school buses could get electrified, but school buses are a rather big expense. The school budget is a big expense. The town budget doesn't have free money to, to play with. So it requires conversation, which is what we're starting to do here, which is great. And then we're just I mean, going to have to spread the word. For me, all that presupposes federal help, right? You're right. Electric yeah. buses are, you know, not going to happen unless, yeah. you know, the, the, there's there's a national push for this kind of stuff. But I think that, to your point, the this is something I've been on recently about the, the whole entire Massachusetts climate roadmap is the alignment of the different parts of the state government. I think uh, you've said that once or twice. We are, <laughs> you know, they all, we all need to get going. And this is the same thing. I mean, if you have every town, you know, legally constrained to, to try and, you know, not work with this neighbor, that's not a good thing. And so how do we, how do you, again, that then it's like county government becomes a climate issue, right? <laughs> how far mm. can you stretch that? Right. But, and I think, programs even like we've brought up the complete streets program but those are meant to be sort of you know town by town grants from the dot and really it doesn't at least on the surface level i haven't dug deeply into the nuances of this program but it does sort of i think feed into that sort of individualization for each of the towns rather than you know maybe you could do i don't even know if you could do a joint program with another town to work on some of those areas where you know you connect, but if you have enough people moving back and forth between two areas, mm -hmm. you know, it certainly would make sense to, you know, pool planning and pool resources rather than just like, you know, the town line stops here and <laughs> up until <laughs> this exact point is the only thing that I care about. Right. And who cares what happens, you know, after that? I think sometimes um, I've noticed it less here, but um, I grew up out of state and that, that was sometimes very clear in um, road care and road maintenance, right? You know, you do a town line and suddenly like, oh, you know, this town has a lot more effort into the road maintenance because suddenly all of the potholes have disappeared, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. You know, yeah. 140 sometimes the, those are some pretty clear lines. Um, yeah, 140 is one of the key where the rubber meets the road because to a certain extent, there are stretches of that truly are state road and there are stretches in the downtown that are quote Franklin Road, um, and yeah, it's always a, a, an interesting discussion. Well, we can do that, or we need to coordinate with the state in order to do that. Um, but that kind of coordination, coming back to one of our earlier pieces, I thought came to mind. Clearly, Boston is the hub because a lot of the traffic, transit lines, et cetera, bring in. The other benefit that T or some agency like that to build more of a transit line akin to the 495 and the 128 belt, those were done for cars. Do some of those crossing lines to connect the transit lines so that you could go to Walpole and then go south or north to Natick or you know wherever and make it so much easier in kind of the spoke in the wheels, et cetera. Some 
peripheral kind of uh, mass transit would be, you would think it's a forehead slapper, right? Of course you would do that. But I mean, we're, we're so, again, this comes back to the choices that were made and how it locks stuff in. So you got to make your choices carefully. But if I just for one second, I want to go back to the sort of regionalization uh, idea for transit. All right. So we're here, we're in Franklin is Milford, uh, Norfolk, Bellingham, would you build a transportation system that reflects the current demand for travel? I suppose, again, we're being very particular. And, and dear listener, if you're not from the Franklin area, you know, this may be confusing, but I'm sure you can, you can translate it to where you are. If you wanted to go 10 miles uh, up to the target in Milford, right, would you put a bus line in there? Or would you say, no, we have a different, because is the demand there? Or should we be building something that then people will go live near that transit line because in 15 years they know it's going to be, you know, there's going to be good things there. I mean, do you build a transportation system for the present pattern, reflecting the present pattern, or do you say, no, we think that the different towns should be, would be in communication. And if there was an easy way to get back and forth, more people would, would do it. Marissa, I'll put you on the spot. Am I right? Am I wrong? Tell me. <laughs> Oh, what a question. <laughs> I mean, I, I do think that the easier scope is to, would be right to look at where we are now. I think the hard part about the future is it can be really tough to just th think about how things are going to change, whether that's through zoning, whether that's through, you know, industry changes. Where are people going to work in 10 years? You know, is it are things going to look the same? You know, do things look the same now? Things have changed drastically some, for some people and how they commute and how they work over the past two years in a way that I don't know if people would have predicted coming, you know, three years ago. Nope. <laughs> um, and I think that that definitely is part of the challenge. I think if we want it to be effective and do changes to um, our carbon and our, you know, which is what this is about, you know, our carbon emissions now for the transport stuff, we, I think we have to meet people, you know, where they need in the, in the current time. Mm -hmm. But, I think we also have to be flexible for the future, you know, be willing to change that in the future if that isn't where things need to run. And maybe in that sense, maybe a bus would be a better option than like uh, solid tram lines. And I guess in this theoretical <laughs> sense set up, right. You know, because you could alter those routes in a different way than you might be able to alter um, set railway lines yeah. but i do think having more of a network would open a lot of things up right right, right. your network could follow I, I just have i mean this is like apropos of not a heck of a lot but when we talk about building stuff for where people will be right and are you betting on the future if you go up 495 exit i think it's exit 23 cimarano drive is this huge swooping intersection that was going to bring everyone to the digital equipment headquarters, right? <laughs> digital equipment. They built that for deck, like in the 1980s. And well, of course, it actually now, came online when Fidelity was there, but Fidelity has long gone. Yeah. So, so, so. there's this enormous infrastructure that's sitting there, you know, will be there when in 2000 years, when the future uh, anthropologists come back and figure out what the heck we we're trying to do, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> be there. Uh, whereas maybe if we had a, a bus system that was flexible and grew with the demand that that would be a more, a more sustainable way to go. Huh? 
Yeah, I like that concept. And it would be interesting I, I, for the listeners, if anybody is, you know, data hungry or data familiar and you want to go dig in, it'd be interesting to look back both at kind of that streetcar concept. You know, where did the streetcar routes go? I'm sure there's some historical documentation so that we would know where they connected. That may be a good starting point. What has changed since then versus what we know now and Marissa, to your point, certainly the, the nature of work has changed for a lot of office workers, at least. Most can be remote and thereby they don't have to be in the office. And obviously, yes, it, even when my company went remote before I retired, we chose on our group to come to the office. So we went for we worked from work on Wednesday <laughs> because we still needed to have some FaceTime with each other. It was still other conversations and it was it was yeah. still good. So we did that. Um, but with the nature of work changing, there will still be that segment of the population where the physical work is still required, whether in the service industry, uh, hotels, restaurants, you know, or even retail, you're still going to need to, you know, deal face to face, even in manufacturing. In, at some point until the auto robots kind of take over, somebody still has to put the widget on the thingamajig <laughs> to put it down I mean, the I line. That could, I guess that comes back to the question of, you know, you talked about zoning before. Hmm. If there was a bus route, I mean, the way it is now, everything is dispersed, right? There's a McDonald's on a roadway out in the in the in the boondocks, right? How are you going to get? How is the employee going to get there, right? And it's only if you have a sort of regular, reliable bus service, then the McDonald's will come to the bus line, right? And then everyone it it, it works better. But we're currently, I think, change, faced with a, a dispersed problem where you, you people want to go to these sort of isolated places. And so there is mass isn't the right word. It's isolated transportation is what you need, you know, individual transportation, which then brings you back to the car and like, so you've gone full circle, right? I mean, how mm. do you, how do you manage right. that? And then the long distance, you can get into the Elon Musk type pods or the, the tunnels and no. <laughs> yeah, it's a little don't, too far. Don't even say me. Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let him go fix Twitter first and then we'll come yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I think it's complex. And once you start going, there's so many pieces. Well, which piece does it make more sense? And I think Marissa, at least starting with, well, what can we do? What is the nature of what we still want? Will we still need to, you know, provide for ourselves, family, still need to support ourselves that way. And thereby we need some transportation, but to schedule, whether it's a doctor's visit or even going to work, you need, it needs to be reliable. It can't be, you know, eating more than, you know, 20% of your income <laughs> or some percent of the income for what it's worth, et cetera. You know, it's got to ha have its own return. Just to throw one more stone at cars, though. I mean, you, you pay this outlandish amount of money for a car and it sits like 99% of your time in mm -hmm. the garage. And like 98% of the energy that the car uses is to move the car. The payload is nothing, right? You you weigh nothing. It just moving the car takes all the energy. So you start to say how crazy it is. And that if we all had little um, golf carts, you know, Mar-a-Lago style golf carts, we could drive around <laughs> in, right? That would be much more efficient. And, and but but there you go. Yeah, I've toyed previously with the idea of those sorts of you know like smaller Vespa scooters, but I think it's it's tough to sell yourself on that idea in New England still, even if we're not you know, seeing you know the same amount of snow we may have in the previous 
uh, it's hard to sell yourself on a, you know, a ride on something open like that in the middle of winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, th- I think we would, we would, that's something you need to take into account. I mean, I talk about bikes, but basically you, you may go, you're probably going to go October to, I mean, May, April, May to October, November, and then J- December, January, it's not pleasant or dangerous on a bike. Yeah. Right. So how do you manage that? And you need to be prepared. Uh, and, I mean, until you begin to ask the questions and pose the pose the questions, you're not going to get any answers. Everyone's just going to throw their hands up and say, "Ah, too complicated. Right. Right. I got a car." Yeah. I'd like to go back to talk to whoever bought the fire truck, the old ladder truck that came back to Franklin. That had an open cab. Oh, really? <laughs> that had an open cab. It still does. So yeah, you're in the middle of trying to fight a fire in in whatever weather, and you're in an open cab. I was I was I mean I was thinking about Kudos that. I saw some convertible, but in the 1930s, you see these black and white movies of people driving convertible cars. They're all you know beautiful people, but they were only doing like 20 miles an hour, right? Sure. And you can you get on 495 and go 80 in your convertible, but you can't even you know it's just it's dangerous. So. That's why I don't have a convertible. <laughs> exactly you're going why eight. I don't have one either. <laughs> Only that reason alone. Yes. Well, I think we've had some fun discussion, kind of positing a few things here and there. I think it's complex and it with the fact that we haven't come up with kind of the, the silver answer yet <laughs> lies to the heart of the problem that it's it's gonna be a hard problem. But if anything, we're just going to have to talk more about it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think it's going to take a variety of things. I think it's going to take zoning flexibility. I think it's going to be changing how some of our infrastructure is set up in terms of roadways. I think it's going to take, uh, unfortunately, in the beginning, maybe some folks being willing to make some of those hard sacrifices to mm. do things that are maybe at the get-go not less expensive right or you know not in necessarily more convenient but trying to make that first step so you can continue forward um and i think it, it will probably take many different things whether it's electric vehicles biking municipal public transportation or greater boston public transportation i think it's going to take many different pieces so a lot more coming <laughs> a lot more coming So for the listeners, thank you for listening along to Marissa and Ted. Thanks for helping uh, share the conversation on this time. It seems to have just kind of like scooted by us. So being mindful of your time and the listeners' time. We are now producing in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin 
Matt. <laughs>